Welcome to episode 27 of the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Glick, and today we're cutting deep into the world of woodworking. One of my favorite phrases in woodworking is it is not what you've done, it is what you do to what you've done that actually matters. <laughs> Anella de la Viaga has been working with her hands from a young age. She loves to draw and studied architecture at the University of California, Berkeley. But it's wood that seems to have captured her heart. I've always just loved the smell, loved the feel, been just entranced by the grain patterns. Like, like grew up in Grass Valley, so there's a beautiful series of forests in and around that area. Trees have always been part of my life. Yet, even with this passion, it wasn't always easy for Delaviaga to see a career path for herself in woodworking. Is woodworking still seen as just like, this is a man's job kind of it, a... it is, it is. I've noticed that in my, at least here in Reno. I think there's there's hubs of beautiful feminine energy and, and non-binary energy all over the country, but they're hubs and they're not, they're not widespread yet. So she took it upon herself to help create that inclusive space for women and non-binary people to learn the tools, skills, and confidence to dive into this industry. It's called the Design Build Collective, and it was founded by Delaviaga and three other craftswomen. The group offers workshops, free playtime, and most importantly, support for those who haven't typically gotten it. I think half of the battle is just having having the courage to try, and that helps when you see other people that look like you and talk like you entertain something that seems out of reach and not done by your demographic. And when it comes to courage, Delaviaga just has it. As we walk to her workspace, I'm struck by one very large and very colorful table she's working on. And I really, I really went out on a limb with it in terms of the color. It's purple and blue and orange and yellow and a little bit of vintage burgundy. And Delaviaga and her partners in the Design Build Collective work out of the generator in Sparks. So I went down there to learn more about her process, what drives her, and what we can all learn from wood. I'm Anella Delaviaga and we're, we're in my little wood shop. <laughs> and currently what you're looking at is it being a little too small for what we've taken on lately. There's a, there's a six by six kitchen island. <laughs> there's, there's a four by five dining table, a couple of stools, some floating shelves, and a whole wall of slabs, live edge yeah. slabs. So I guess, um, I, think, I think this is interesting. This is eye catching to me just because of how colorful it is. So maybe just tell me a little bit more about yeah, this, this piece. Is, this is just an alder dining table. Um, the client, I really appreciated his uh, courageousness when he said something colorful and I, I just, I went for it. He's kind of my favorite types of clients when they trust me to like guide the conversation. And I really, I really went out on a limb with it in terms of the color. It's purple and blue and orange and yellow and a little bit of vintage burgundy. And But the cool thing about this piece actually is that that was a collaboration with, uh, in the Design Build Collective. So if you can see over here, right behind here, there's these um, hair hide leather stools created by Heather Salen of the Design Build Collective, who's a leather and metal worker, and her space is right over there. But this sort of is like the base model structure of what we're trying to do on a larger scale to help boost the Reno maker community in business. Like the ability to introduce more women and more non-binary folk to woodworking, metalworking. It helps to see a, a functional role model relationship of like, you know, you can actually make money doing this. It's just, you have to recognize that this X, Y, and Z might happen. X, Y, and Z need, need to happen. So let me ask then, I mean, what needs to be done to bring more women and non-binary people into woodworking, metalworking, all that? Visibility, just showing people that it's an acceptable and actually 
very feasible financial pathway forwards for them. Not just financial, but like also like it's incredibly satisfying work. And I guess maybe it takes a certain personality type and maybe I, I am one of those personality types. So what, what is the personality type of someone who is drawn to woodworking? That's interesting. That's a good question. And you know, this is not gonna be like an answer that applies to everyone, but for me, I'm pretty type B. I've had to become a lot more organized over this professional journey that I'm on, trying to get uh, a business started and uh, self-sustaining. Just like trusting yourself, that's the personality type. You have to have or be willing to foster a sense of self-confidence. How do you handle that when you're when you're working on something? Like, do you have self-doubt? How do you deal with that when you're when you're working on this? Oh, all the time. Yeah, self-doubt is regular. But I think all I do is just look back and like I got to where I am now by trusting that I could get done what I thought I could do, whether or not I had done it before. There are so many resources. The internet is boundless. But also, just like. Have you ever picked up the phone and called somebody that you admired and asked them a question, whether or not you knew them? I've done that two or three times, totally cold called companies, cold called builders, cold called people and just, you know, awkward introduction, hi, I really am a huge fan. Like, how did you do this? I do want to talk to you though about your journey here. Like, how did how did you get started with woodworking? Was it always a passion of yours or? Honestly, I've always liked to work with my hands starting from like a middle school program called Odyssey of the Mind, like it introduced us to, to hands-on woodworking, hands-on problem solving. I've always liked to draw. I went to school for architecture at UC Berkeley. So I learned a lot from that program, but I also learned that architecture isn't as hands-on sometimes as I want it to be. I really wanted to be hands-on. So I experimented in that field for a little bit. I went and worked with Mila Breen and Dave Good at Atmosphere Design Build. But previous to that, I, I did six month apprenticeship with Joseph Cockless in Santa Cruz. Um, and that was great, but I uh, didn't get a lot of hands-on experience with tools. So I, I departed a little earlier than most apprenticeships uh, due to liability concerns. And then sometimes I wonder if that was gendered or not, but uh, you, you never know. And I did ask quite a few people and I got a lot of no's about apprenticeships. I got a lot of no's. And, that was hard. I had to like just walk around door to door asking, looking for wood. I was literally looking for wood. I was just, who has wood that looks interesting and do they know how to work with it? And if they do, will they teach me? Yeah. I'm just picturing you as like a door to door salesman almost just knocking like, hey, just, I know you don't know me, but just, do you happen to have any extra wood line? Yeah. <laughs> I've done that more than once in my life. Yeah. I do want to get to some of the, the, the challenges you faced, but first I, I want to stick with some, some of the history. Do you remember the first wood project you made or maybe what was the first time you realized like oh I really want to do this um yeah I would say like my first piece that really made me feel something was in Santa Cruz working with uh Joey Coakley so while I wasn't allowed to use his tools in his shop I could use my own tools outside of his shop so I definitely went through the motions of creating and designing a little Madrone waterfall coffee table. Um, my first spec piece is what I would call that and it actually just sold five years later <laughs> which is awesome so it's like spec pieces don't always sell like they're you know spec pieces are like this is what I want to see but it sometimes can be a little too creative or too out there for an easy purchase. That's a great uh, transition though to talking about creativity and I guess how do you how do you handle a project when it's a spec project versus 
when it's for a client? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you, I mean, I, I would imagine those are vastly different approaches. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, the timeline is always different. Um, spec pieces will take, you know, years because they're not priorities relative to paying clients and customers who are priorities because, you know, there's a contractual relationship, but that also means that some of the creativity can be nipped based off of what the client would like. Not um, being down on that, but but also the design approach is different. So if there's something that's been tickling on the back of my mind about a certain piece of wood, because a lot of the wood speaks, right? So the wood wants to be something, whether or not you want it to be that or not. Kind of like people, you open up a tree and you know you can tell that it's a type of tree and you can t tell that it's a type of lumber, but you have no idea what it looks like on the inside until you open it up. Tell me more about that. That's interesting. I, like you said. The wood knows what it wants to be. What does that mean? Say that like that, that tree had a big heavy branch and that big heavy branch over the course of the tree's life weighed down significantly and compressed the grain in the trunk of the tree. When you cut that open, there's a lot of internalized compression. There's a lot of internalized force inside of the tree, inside of the wood. So when you open it up, you, what you'll see is a beautiful figure, but man, will that move. <laughs> it will move, wood moves, it, it, it just, Knowing how to predict what the wood is going to do helps a lot inform what the shape and the function of the piece will be. So in that example, what does that mean? How does that, you said the wood moves? What, is, what does that mean? So how do, you have to, how do you have to approach that differently? Yeah, in terms of what happens, imagine a sponge. When a sponge dries out, it shrivels. Same thing with wood. So when wood dries out, it can pull, it can cup, it can crack, it can warp can do all sorts of really unpredictable things. You know, can you think of challenges you've had working with wood and it, whether it's in these things like what are and how do you overcome those sorts of I mean of you got to fail. You got to you got to mess up cuz you will mess up. Nobody ever talks about how they've messed up. Everyone messes up all the time. Um, one of my favorite phrases and I tell everybody I work with this, especially everyone I'm teaching. One of my favorite phrases in woodworking is it is not what you've done, it is what you do to what you've done that actually matters. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> so like I said, sometimes things happen. Like, you know, you'll drop a saw, you'll drop a piece. It was not cheap. Like your your eight hundred dollar, you know, four foot long piece of wood hit the ground and cracked in half. What do you do? Do you start over and spend another $400 or do you patch it back together? Just takes time and experience to figure out what to do and what, what the right action is for each circumstance. Do you have an example of like how you have failed and then repurposed it or, or, or you know, had to, can you think of a lesson that you've had to learn the hard way maybe? Yeah, there's a great one right here. <laughs> so this is a bay laurel kitchen island. It is three slabs of bay laurel. So two out of the three slabs, no problem, went together great. The third slab, put it together walked around the outside and noticed that it had cupped about two inches. <laughs> and that is, it's just not an easy solution, especially since this was the only big slab I could get my hands on in all of Reno, which you can kind of see, I, I, you know, mm -hmm. was able to patch in some similar bay laurel. You can kind of see this thick little bar. You so, see that little thin, yeah. it's, there's like a little tonal difference in the wood is what we're looking at right now. Yeah. Not my favorite experience. That was really intense, pretty scary. I called the client, but he was pretty understanding. Even if you source dry lumber, every piece of wood is different and you can't necessarily predict it. So I think the, the further along I go in my career, the, more, the better I'll be at predicting exactly what very specific types of grain will do over the course of their life. But you know, you, you shouldn't have to feel like you need to know those things before starting, because otherwise you're never gonna learn them.
what does just working with wood mean to you? And, 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 and I guess, how would you describe what you do to someone? Well, it's such a reflection of the natural history. Essentially, for the most part, woodworking is carbon sequestration. So you're doing the earth a favor. Very small, it's minuscule, but it does help me wake up every morning. <laughs> I try not to use a lot of epoxy. I try not to use a lot of um, plastics, mainly to kind of, you know, add to that and not subtract to that net positive. But yeah, I mean, wood is, wood is one of the most sustainable resources available to us. And also like one of the most like cast aside, there's so many trees that are like taken down in neighborhoods and urban areas that are just mulched, which is fine. And, you know, we need mulch in places, but we don't need that much mulch. Like, you know, mulch just expedites the rotting process, which pushes carbon right back up into the air. So it's a small thing I can do that also plays right into my design my love for design and my love for spaces and fabricating and creating spaces like a breathtaking piece of wood is so can be such a big part of it can be such a big part of feeling like you're at home or feeling like you are still outside while being inside i guess what led you to wood why not metal why not painting why wood and what and what makes this medium special to you versus you know like a painting or drawing like how is the experience different or that is such a good question and I don't even know the answer to it I've always just loved the smell love the feel been just entranced by the grain patterns like like grew up in Grass Valley so there's a beautiful series of forests in and around that area Trees have always been part of my life, and they always will. And I'm trying to plant one tree a year, like, like the, trying to make that a goal um, to be part of every uh, every part of that cycle. What, what's next for you? I know there's a lot going on and, and, and a lot of changes. I got accepted into the Crenop School for the 2022-2023 academic year. So it'll be funky going back to school in my uh, late 20s, but it'll be pretty cool, I think. It's a deep dive into hand joinery, hand detailing, small, simple, soft pieces. I'm hopefully going to learn how to slow down and take take more time for design and take more time for prototyping. Like, that's really what I want to do, and I haven't necessarily had time built in for that. So I, I kind of figured this kind of program would be the only way I could learn how to do those things. Tell me more about the collective, because I know that, that it, it sounds like that's a big passion of yours, and also you know the teaching of others and mentorship. So can yeah. you just tell me more about all of that? Yeah, there's a big rift in craft equity right now in, in woodworking and, and metalworking. Like I, I definitely felt very alone in the, the career I decided to embark in, in terms of seeing people like me who understood what it was like to be somebody like me in this field, surrounded by a fair amount of masculine energy. So, I mean, uh, is woodworking still seen as just like, this is a man's job kind of? It is, it is. I've noticed that in my, at least here in Reno, I think there's there's hubs of beautiful feminine energy and and non-binary energy all over the country. Um, But they're hubs and they're not, they're not widespread yet. And like, you know, the most we can do is sort of create another hub. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So um, I just want to kind of take a step back away from woodworking, maybe the the 3,000 foot view here. I mean, what does art and creativity mean to you? Whoa. (laughs) Art means community, straight up. The ability to express, like, the humanity in playfulness and not taking life so seriously sometimes, like, all of this comes back to this really 
pure place of expression, I would say. Creativity is just the ability to look at other people and see what they're doing, take what they're doing and run with it and make it your own. I'm just curious, in all your, all your time working with wood, I'm, you know, I know you've learned a ton, so you know, for people who don't really know much about whether it's wood furniture or woodworking, you know, do you have any tips or anything that people could look for to help appreciate like some of the craftsmanship that, that's out there? Yeah, don't look for machine perfection. That's a huge one. Like, you know, if you want a custom piece, you're likely not looking for something that's been done before. If you're looking for something that's been done before, you can very much likely get that cheaper from a factory. <laughs> what you do when you hire a custom wood artist or woodworker to create you a custom piece, you're, you're inviting that person and their touch into your home. And recognizing that before you commission them is really healthy for both the client and the woodworker because we're not machines. You know, the mistakes I was telling you about, those happen all the time. Um, and in factories, if a piece of wood is discovered and it's not perfect for the piece, it literally gets thrown away. Like it won't be used. And, you know, we're trying to, to prevent that. I mean, I'm trying to prevent that, at least in, in my personal ethical responsibility towards woodworking. I want to prevent that. I want to use everything. Like, you can see, look around our space. We have boxes and boxes and boxes of scrap wood because we can't throw it away. We don't want to yet. Like, you know, you can make so many things from scrap wood. And so look for the marks of the craftsperson. That's what I would say. Like, there's... Whether it's like a little inlay or an imperfection on something that you want it to be perfect, but the fact that it's not perfect shows that you had somebody make that for you. That's huge. I think that's I, that's my, one of my favorite parts of seeing pieces out in the wild. Is like, I know somebody made that and like they put love into it. Whether or not they did it perfectly, they put love into it. That was Anella de la Viaga, wood artist and co-founder of the Design Build Collective. The group is holding a panel discussion in September as part of the Reno Tahoe International Art Show. More info on that at rtiashow.com. You can learn more about Anella and her work at delaviagadesigns.com. That's D-E-L-A-V-E-A-G-A designs.com. We also have photos and more information at our website, doublescoop.art. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Double Scoop Podcast. This episode was produced in conjunction with Divergent Point Media. More info at divergentpointmedia.com. Our theme music comes from Reno singer-songwriter Greg Gilmore from his song, Who Am I? You can find more episodes of the Double Scoop Podcast on our website, doublescoop.art, and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. I'm Noah Glick, and thank you so much for listening.